Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here is your Friday, June 4th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. We are now past the NHL Draft Lottery Show. The Flyers will select, well, they're deemed as 14th, but because the Arizona Coyotes have to forfeit their pick, they'll actually have the 13th pick in the 2021 NHL Entry Draft. So I thought it was a good time to bring on Flyers Assistant General Manager Brent Flair. We're going to talk about a wide range of topics from how he began his career in scouting and eventually into being an assistant GM in all the years with Chuck Fletcher to scouting in this very unique circumstance of limited availability to see players in person. Not only that, but we'll talk about team building and much more. Here's my conversation with Flyers Assistant General Manager Brent Flair. Uh, happy to have joined us once again here on Flyers Daily in the offseason as the NHL draft lottery is now in the rearview mirror. And we count down to the NHL draft, the expansion draft, and more. It's Flyers assistant GM Brent Flyer joining us. Brent, how you doing? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Uh, I never asked you this question before, but here's where I want to start. Uh, your career, uh, you were a player. Uh, you played the BCHL back in the early 90s, then you spent your four years playing uh, all the way across the country at Princeton University. And, of course, Daryl Powell, former Flyer, played at Princeton University as well. Uh, and yeah. then you got into to scouting right after college. How, how did you kind of make the jump from Princeton to scouting? Where was the connection that you made that allowed you that opportunity? Well, I was in my senior year. I didn't know, uh, you know, a lot of most kids are kind of transitioning to Wall Street and I knew I wanted to get into hockey. I didn't quite know how to to get there. And uh, my coach at the time had a contact more on the business side in the Florida Panthers. Um, and they that was their 96 uh, Stanley Cup run. Uh, so they were expanding at New Arena Company and everything. So actually my first year was on the, on the business side. And uh, that's when I got to know Chuck Fletcher and uh, Brian Murray, who was the general manager at the time. And they brought me in and uh started a, a video scouting coordinator so i did uh back then your office and the amount of employees were a lot smaller so i had a lot of they gave me a lot to do right away and i did the video work for actually uh terry murray and x flyer and uh and the coaching staff there so yeah they threw a lot on my plate i was a young guy but i was ambitious and and uh it was great great experience for me as as a young guy trying to get into the game so uh, from there, I grew and uh, got out and oversaw a lot of different uh, parts of the game and then got into scouting uh, gradually as well. And when you look back on it, you know, you jump right out of Princeton. Like you said, a lot of, a lot of your buddies are jumping to Wall Street and obviously a very good school. And, and you jump into this this dream world of, of professional hockey and you're making a go of it. You're cutting your teeth, doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I imagine it, it was hectic, but you loved what you were doing, didn't you? Yeah, no, I didn't pay quite as well as what my buddies were doing in New York, but <laughs> no, at the same time, it was, uh, yeah, no, it was, I was a young guy and wasn't motivated by money at the time. It was just, uh, being involved in the, in the NHL and, and learning. And, uh, Brian Murray, uh, was a great man and, uh, he taught us a lot, Chuck, Chuck and I both. And, um, it was great to learn from him and, and obviously Chuck and I have uh, made close friends since and, um, yeah, I got learned a lot every day, and uh, it was a great experience for a young guy coming to the game. And I was just, really I was in the right place at the right time. 
what is it that you and Chuck, I mean, you make this connection. This is 25 years ago now, Brent. Um, you know, yep. this is longer than most marriages, <laughs> you, you and Chuck kind of working <laughs> yeah. together. Uh, but what is it that makes the, the two of you be able to click and work so well together? Because, you know, you're you're along for the ride with him in, in Florida. Then, you know, you end up in Minnesota with him. You're here in Philadelphia. You've worked alongside yeah. Chuck for a long time. Yeah, in Anaheim as well. But, yeah. no, we, uh, yeah, no, we obviously we became friends but uh both sarcastic both uh similar sense of humors and mm-hmm. but uh, i think we also think the game the same way and like the same style of play same type of players and um and how you know how we treat people and how we treat employees and um the way we we think things should be run so we, we've learned a lot he obviously learned a lot from his father and i learned a lot from bobby clark uh, when he first got in the game and then brian murray was obviously a great mentor and for him, Ray Shiro, he worked with in Pittsburgh, and he's learned from some great people and uh, real good hockey people. So, and I, you know, had the chance to work with some good people as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's one of those things that obviously uh, we're friends off the ice or away from the rink, but uh, uh, at the same time, we we seem to mesh well together, and and it's uh, yeah, it's worked well for me. So, yeah, that that that's great. That some great names there too. You know, I don't know his father, you know, Cliff Fletcher is a legend. But you know Bob Clark and then and Brian Murray and just to be able to get some of that institutional knowledge from these guys as you're coming up and build it into your own package is really impressive. Let, let me ask you about that because I, I did an episode the other day, Brent, about team building because we all saw what happened with the Toronto Maple Leafs and you know they can go out and they can you know outscore you seven to six in the regular season and I made the case that you know regular season success is no guarantee for playoff success in the NHL. And maybe it takes being a, a third, three through five seed in construction of a team to have playoff success because being the number one seed doesn't really guarantee anything uh, other than that maybe you can score a lot and goals are so much harder to come by in, in the playoffs. As a, as a guy that is in charge of scouting and putting teams together and drafting and developing – how much of that is part of the equation in team building, not just getting all the talent you can get, but making sure the pieces fit and they check these necessary boxes for playoff success? Well, that's, you know, that's the uh, age old question. I think anytime we're in scouting meetings, you know, you see the, maybe the most skilled guy on the board, or maybe there's a guy that's skilled, but very small or whatever. And you watch the playoffs. It, it's a challenge. You know, there are small players that have success. I don't want to get you be wrong there, but you need to be competitive. Like you need to be extremely competitive. You need to be team oriented and, you know, the teams with that, that find that gel and find that team game, uh, you know, and are playing at the top of their game going into the playoffs usually have success. So obviously you want to be the highest seed you can and get home ice advantage and all that. But, um, you know, you hear it a lot. You just need to get in the, get into the dance and get into the playoffs and, and things can happen and in and, and, and hockey especially. I think that's true. You see number one seeds get upset all over the place. And I think a number of years ago, LA Kings were the eight seed and went, won the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, you need, the, you need the right mindset. You need the right group, group of players. But sometimes you, you see that special, uh, you know, I thought we had it last year going there for a little bit before the shutdown where things are really going in the right direction and, you know, you can just feel the team or you're just finding ways to win games every night and guys really believing. And, and, uh, so you have that momentum and, 
and you can lead to success, especially in, in uh, you know, you got to win four series, but you get on that right groove and it's, it's a fun feeling to be a part of. So and some years you don't have it. Some years you kind of lose that edge. And sometimes teams that are, are way up in the standings and you kind of cruise into the playoffs and, and you lose that edge a little bit and you find yourself in the tough series right away. It's a, it's a grind, but um, you know, Toronto's a, a highly skilled young team that still have lots of upside and, I'm sure they'll be fine, but you know, there's a learning curve to it as well. Yeah, you saw it with Tampa a couple of years ago. They win the President's Trophy with 121 points. They run away with it. They're not really playing competitive games at the end of the season. Then they go in and they end up getting swept by Columbus. And uh, yeah. that, that, was, that was Columbus team just playing on the razor's edge of intensity coming down the stretch. And, and boy, the, the, the line between success and failure is so fine in this league, more, than, more so than me than any other league, right, Brent? I, I think so. Yeah, there's so much parity in the NHL. Uh, there's good teams that miss playoffs, and and uh, every team in the playoffs can can beat anybody in any, any given night. So um, obviously, there's some top teams right now that are really built to win, and and uh, looks like they're going to go on runs. But yeah, it can change quickly. Obviously, momentum in the playoffs, as you see, it's uh, it's that's what makes it so exciting to watch. Uh, one of the things in you know in, throughout your career is you know meeting with prospects and meeting with potential draft picks and those conversations you know can can is there a lot of occasions where you can tell just in one of those meetings like this is a guy that I know is going to have the guy sitting next to him's back uh, when when the s really hits the fan right in the playoffs when I need him you know to to really dig in and the details of the game but he's just a winner I mean one of those guys is that one of those things you can tell um, that kind of pops easily to you as a as a guy, you know, making these evaluations heading into drafts. Yeah, no. In some cases, you can for sure. You know, you have an idea of the player just by watching them play and whether they're a leader, whether they're highly competitive. Right? And yeah, but then you see a guy sitting in a chair, and you know, you have a bunch of scouts in a room, and you know, sometimes at the combine, and and these guys, you know, the way they sit, the way they look you in the eye, and the way they answer questions, they they have a you know, inner confidence, they have a way of, you know, just have a presence, I guess. And uh, you can tell who the leaders are a lot of times sitting there. And and there's a, it's a little dangerous because when you're dealing with 18 year old kids, there's a big spectrum of maturity and uh, some kids are just naive and have come in lower levels or whatever. And that, haven't had that experience. So they get their nervous. doesn't mean that they're not leaders or they're just not polished yet. And other kids are over polished and know what to say and have been taught what to say, but you can tell it's not naturally genuine. Uh, based on the way they play or even how they present themselves. So it's it's a fine line. You can get carried away with the interview process, but at the same time, some you know some of the big leaders, and um, you can just tell guys that are hockey players in some cases. you got a grouping of those every year, and you'd like to get those guys if you can. Yeah, I remember when Mike Richards came out from the Kitchener Rangers. The guy was just a winner at every level, and you go, okay, that's a guy that – is going to spill it every night at the NHL level and wherever he's at, just the way he is. If they plug in a scoreboard, that's that's his way he's wired. Um, let me ask you about the, the the game. You come in in '96 and into the league, and you come out of Princeton. And boy, it was it was such a different sport back then with teams with all the you know the clutching and grabbing, and the game was much slower. The red line's still in. Speed and skill right now is at such a premium in the league, and there's so much of it out there. Uh, how is uh you know when you when you're looking at players and it's not just about how fast you can skate but it's how fast you play how fast you play this game mentally that's got to be a big yeah. part of the equation and what you're looking for these days. Yeah, for sure. And, and hockey sense is a big part of it. Like uh, 
you look at Mark Stone in Vegas, he's not not a great skier. He's not the fat, never has been. Junior is a tough skier, that's why he fell. But he's such a smart player, and he plays the game fast. He doesn't look fast, but he does. He thinks the game, strips pucks. He, he's just a brilliant player. And, um, you know, and there's other guys that maybe McKinnon skates a million miles an hour, and he's dynamic because of that and has the skill as well. That's great. There's not not many McDavid's McKinnons out there. So there's to be able to think the game at, at at top speed and play the game at top speed is is what we're looking for. And and it's, there's lots of guys that can fly and but can't think it at the, at that pace and and which makes him a marginal player. And but uh, you know speed kills for sure and and that certainly helps, especially in today's game when you can't hook and hold and interfere. So. There's no position, Brent, to me that's changed more over the years in the game than the defensemen and how they're looked at. It used to be I got to have that big hulking guy on the blue line, my crease clearer, you know, with the big heavy shot. But you see so many of these guys now. Let's go to Colorado. You look at McCarr. You go to Vancouver. You you look at a guy like Quinn Hughes. You see these types of players all over the league that are just so dynamic. Uh, has any position changed more in what you're looking for at the NHL level than a defenseman? Yeah, it's actually it's funny. It's, it's kind of gone full circle. Um, you know, a few years ago we were in Minnesota, we were rebuilding our defense, so we went. Well, Chicago was a top team, so we went all mobile, and you know, we had the Brodines, Dumbas, Suters, Spurgeons, and we had a very good defense, but we were smaller. And now you're going to Tampa, who has, if you look at their team, they have all the skill up front, but their defense is huge. Yeah, uh, in the playoffs, it, it makes a big difference. So I, I do think you still need size in the back end, still need some physicality, but obviously you need the, you know, the dynamic offensive players if you can have them. They're just not that many around, to be honest with you. So to have to be able to, to have the skill in the back end, the mobility, and and not only for the offensive side, but just getting the puck going and getting out of your own end, so you don't have to defend, uh, is the biggest factor, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. And having a guy like Hedman, who I think is actually the best player in the game right now, um, for just the way he, what he means to that team. But uh, let me ask you about a few of the prospects before we kind of look at this draft a little bit. Um, let's let's talk about your la- last year's number one pick. It, it feels like it was three weeks ago that the draft was, and now we're ready to get ready for a draft again. I'm sure it feels that way yeah, yeah. you as well. But Tyson, you know, the OHL doesn't have a season, so he, he spends the year essentially playing with men. Uh, not a total normal AHL season because there was some junior players obviously sprinkled throughout, but boy, did he have a successful season once he found his footing. What did you see out of out of Tyson Forster this year? Well, I, I thought it was really exciting. Uh, you know, we came, he came in, I told the coaches down there, like, we got to give him a chance to play. I didn't know, you know, when you're dealing with 18 year old kids in the American League, you don't know if they're going to tip their, you know, toe in the water and if it takes them a month or whatever to figure it out or, even compete at that level and you know he stepped in unfortunately got injured the first game but played well and when he came back I think it took him two or three games and then then he really started to go so uh, the thing that was most exciting about him is you know he loves the game he's you know he comes to the rink he quickly earns respect to all the veteran guys down there and not only just tried to survive out there he tried to he tried to you know he's our best player a lot of nights and carried the play and generated offense he was good defensively and you know, for a young kid to come in and, and play with that kind of poise. And, you know, he's, he's one of those kids that shows up the rank, he smiles every day, just loves to play, and it's kind of got that it factor, which is, you know, it's exciting. He's still got a ways to go, don't get me wrong, but he's got to get, you know, he's got to get stronger and quickness and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, he looks like a hockey player. The, is the 
Is CHL going to do any kind of something different here going into this season for players like him who played in the AHL, had success, and going back to junior really maybe doesn't help his development, maybe an exception, uh, you know, one or two players per team or something? Yeah, I don't think that's reality. If you ask the CHL teams, I don't think they'd be very excited about that idea, losing their stars. But, yeah, yeah in reality for us, it's uh, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for him if he has to go back. And, you know, it's something that the league will maybe talk about, but it's, uh, you know, the agreement's in place, so. As it stands now, we're expecting him to have to go back if he doesn't make the NHL team. It's unfortunate. Zade as well. Um, he comes yeah. in for you, boy, and and talk about another fireball of energy, right? Um, and, yeah. And that maybe that that simplification of just playing with a ton of energy is something that'll help you making that jump from, you know, going you know right in your draft year, right in playing the NHL AHL as well. Yeah, for a kid like this, he you know it was great experience for him, but he, you know, I didn't expect another guy that we didn't expect to come in and um, you know we figured if he played he'd be more of a bottom six and uh, he got moved up especially with Forster out of the lineup for a little bit and he ran with it so he he's a, you know he's a strong kid he's plays a power game he's got good hands good shot but he, he's got lots of edge to his game as well and, and certainly wasn't shy you know stepping into the pro game so uh, again you know it's you know for a young guy to come in and do that was it was exciting. Uh, what, what have you seen out of Igor, out of Zamula? Uh, he, he got his first taste. Um, he's been a guy that you guys have really liked his development. He's dealt with injuries as well, but what have you seen out of Igor and his development moving up, uh, you know, kind of year to year? Yeah, he just kind of steadily gets better and better. Um, you know, he takes a little bit to find his comfort zone, but plays with such poise, you know, his game with the puck for, for a guy with his size and range. And, uh, you know, he passes, he makes some high-end plays every game moving the puck out of his own zone, inside the offensive zone, and in transition. He's just such a smart player and such a good puck mover. Um, you know, I think the offensive side of the game, he has that. It took him a little bit to get going, and uh, but I think that'll come. Uh, for him, it's just, you know, putting weight on his frame and getting stronger and being able to handle a load of the NHL game and on a night-to-night basis. So uh, he's on the right track, and, you know, he's the guy that, you know, we hope, has a big off season this year. Last year, uh, his off season a little hampered because of his back surgery mid season, so he wasn't able to do some of the things he'd normally do. But it's a huge off season for him this year, and and hopefully he comes in and shows well for himself. And at some point, he can and uh, challenge for a position, whether it's this year or next year. Um, Brent, I'm a bit like a big believer in what when I watch a player, just watching the calmness that they play with, especially when they have the puck in strenuous yeah. situations, how they handle it. Cam York came in for you guys after a season at the University of Michigan was over. And it took him a couple games because, you know, he had to quarantine, he had to go through all that. But once he got his legs under him, both for the Phantoms and then the Flyers eventually, uh, what I saw was a player that was so poised with the puck. And even in his NHL debut, going back to get pucks first at the NHL level, you know, turning your back to the play and going in and, and winning that, that race to the puck. And then the small little plays with the puck, I was so impressed with his poise and just never felt like he was overwhelmed. Yeah, no, I, and that's kind of the way he's always played. He's uh, even defensively, too, if you watch his details, his stick and whatnot, he's never never panics and you know he has to get stronger he's gonna have to play a little higher pace which he's learned but he's such a quick study with all these things that it's um you know it's exciting and the, his vision his poise his ability to move the puck and, and obviously join the offense is 
is going to be his bread and butter. And um, but he is a smart player, and again, he plays with such a level of confidence. And uh, for a quiet, you know, kind of soft-spoken guy, he's he's competitive, and he's internally he's uh, he's a competitive guy and a leader too, as you know, shown with Team USA. And uh, he's played with good players for a long time with the U.S. program, and uh, he's well. a guy that you know <laughs> he, he's he has high aspirations for himself, and you know, he's a big part of our future. When you see him make his NHL debut, it's almost like a, a hold-your-breath moment. Okay, how's he going to handle this test? And then you see how he performed. That There's almost a relief there, isn't there? Well, yeah, when you draw it up and you went through a bunch of COVID breaks and didn't get a lot of experience in American League, then you're starting in Washington and that point of the year. So, yeah, it's probably not your perfect game that we had slotted for him, but it was you know a great experience for him and, and thought he really excelled, played 20 minutes. And, again, he just plays the game. He doesn't you know, worry about the little things and you know, it's not one of those guys that's so nervous. He, he struggles. He just, he just plays and that's all he, it's just kind of the way he's wired and that's what him, what's made him successful. Yeah. I, I was so impressed with the way he, he played and obviously in the world juniors as well against that team Canada for team USA to do what they did was astounding and just an incredible yeah. experience to watch. Um, you guys are going to well technically remain at 14. You'll pick 13th because of uh, Arizona having to forfeit their pick in this draft. Um, the chances of you guys moving up the lottery, they were slim. They were there. It was like kind of like in Dumb and Dumber. When you, one in a billion, you're telling me I got a chance. But yeah. <laughs> um, you look at this draft, though, and, and kind of how do you break down this draft? Not particular players, but where's the strengths in this draft? Where's kind of the, the line of demarcation where there's there's drop-offs? Well, I think there's uh, – first of all, there's – a number of different types of players this year, which is good. I think they're, you know, up top, you, you hear about a couple of defensemen um, on the top end, two or three guys, and then there's a couple forwards, um, both center and wing. Um, and then after, there's a couple goalies in the, slotted in the first round. So it'll be interesting. I think there's probably, you know, five or six, maybe seven guys that you'll see go uh, maybe in different spots early. Uh, and then it could go over the map. You know, there's a lot of different comfort levels with different teams based on viewings or lack thereof, um, which could be make it the draft really interesting. But uh, but no, I think there's uh, obviously we'll see how it falls for us. But we're pretty confident we're getting a good player. And uh, you know, I think we're we're pretty confident in our coverage. We've you know we have a, a good sized staff and guys have worked hard in their areas. And it's going to be a challenge putting the the list together we're currently working on that as we speak but um putting these guys in the right order uh as we as crossover we just don't have that normal crossover aside from video but uh but we feel we have viewings with the exception of uh some guys in ontario which is you know we're gonna have to go on underage video and, and things like that but that's uh it's the same for every team so it's the level playing field. Has there been almost with some of the showcases and stuff like that a little bit of catch up being, you know, taking place here in the last couple of months, trying to get eyes on and as many scouts and and you know, you know, evaluators eyes on on certain players. Yeah, no, I think obviously we had we were fortunate enough to get the uh, World Under 18 Championships uh, Dallas, in Texas right? there, which was great. Yeah. Uh, that was great to just to see you get a visual of these guys we watched all year on video and uh, the Europeans. So just a, a lot of those are the top end guys, and you know there's still seven rounds though, and lots of players that we'll have to put in order, and, uh, make sure we do our due diligence off the ice and do all the research we need. And you know I'm at a camp here up in Erie, Pennsylvania right now, which is just a showcase for a lot of Ontario and other kids that um, you know didn't 
get to play as much this year. And, you know, there's every team has two or three guys here. So, um, yeah, it's just whatever we, any information we can get at this point is still good. And we still have some time to, before the draft to prepare. So for some of those kids that didn't play a lot this year, it's, you go, Oh my gosh, just horrible timing. Right. You know, I'm in my draft year. I have a chance to really jump and, and, you know, at that age, kids can in one off season can just fly in, in development and, you know, as their body comes in and their mind and all those things at that age are so important. Are, are there some kids that didn't play some, you know, a lot that, you know, maybe their game's not as sharp as it would be, but you know that with a lot of repetition and, and routine that they're going to bring that game back to the level where you, you go, okay, th- this kid's worthy of being selected here in the second round or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, I think that's for sure. And we're evaluating kids here that haven't played in a real game in, in almost a year in some cases. So you can't be too critical of the way they play if they're trying to do too much or trying to showcase themselves but at the same time the reality is you miss a whole year of development and that's real like um you know there's it'll be interesting to see down the road how many kids are really in you know harmed by this Uh, in a lot of cases it won't matter but in some cases missing a whole year of junior hockey is is significant and and, uh just for the level of improvement but we'll uh, we'll have to take all that into account and, and see what it means but uh, it's, it's certainly a challenge this year for everybody. Last thing for you, Brent, um, with, with the season that you guys had coming off it, and I know Chuck mentioned it at his press conference right after the trade deadline that you know from the trade deadline to the end of the year that that, that was an, an a you know a way to gather a lot of data on guys to find out who's part of the solution and who's not. Uh, there there could be yeah. a significant change here uh, this off season. Um, when you were kind of assessing everything, not only the draft that's coming up, you know, with all your scouts and everything, but there's a lot more on your plate this this off season, maybe than normal off season, isn't there? Yeah, no, it's for sure. And there's lots of variables, and obviously the flat cap is makes it even more challenging than normal if you're looking to make changes. But Spanish you know, there's draft. there's some yeah. things that obviously we you know we want to win here in Philadelphia. Uh, we don't just want to make the playoffs. We want to try to win. And, and in order to do that, you have to have everybody on the same page and have a culture of winning. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of good players here and good leaders, and I don't want to get uh, mislead you there. But at the same time, if if we can move certain pieces to improve in certain areas, and um, we, we will certainly try to do so. And I would expect uh, at least some changes here for sure. Um, I appreciate you doing this, Brent. I love talking to you, and I, I love getting the perspective on your career. The former Bellingham Ice Hawk, Brent Flair yeah. joins us on this episode, uh, and the BCJHL back then. Wow, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, some good players in the league at the time. There's... That, that was a good launching pad for a lot of players to do exactly what you did and go play D1. Yeah, well, at the time, yeah. We, Paul Korea was in the league at the time, and yeah, we had some, some good players. So Korea's in that, that league before he heads off to Maine with the Ferraro Twins and that uh, unbelievable team up there, right? <laughs> Yeah, Jim Montgomery, and yeah, they yep. were loaded. Yeah, they were. Uh, Brent, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks, as always. Best of luck with the offseason, the draft, and everything that follows. Appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Thanks to Brent Flair for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. A lot, certainly, to unpack in that episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back Monday with another brand-new episode of Flyers Daily. So, everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy your weekend. Stay healthy. And we'll talk to you on Monday's Flyers Daily. Flyers Daily.